Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. If this is your first episode, welcome. I'm happy to have you regardless of your race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The Weird Tales Podcast stands in solidarity with you all. Transcripts of the show, as well as links to institutions fighting for reproductive justice, can all be found in the show notes. I wanted to take some time before this week's episode to talk about the author of this week's episode. William Meikle is a Scottish author of weird fiction now living in Newfoundland, Canada. He's been featured on the show before, and I've narrated three of his collections of weird fiction and a young adult novel of his, and they have all been a joy to perform. Within the past week, Mr. Meikle was diagnosed with liver cancer. He remains in high spirits and is determined to kick it to the curb. The thoughts and prayers and positive spirits of the Weird Tales podcast are with him in this fight, and I and my wife both hope he beats it and recovers quickly. While Mr. Meikle lives in Canada, and thus all his medical care is covered, he has an anthology of fiction that he edited, which all of the money earned from it goes to the Beetson Cancer Research Institute. I would highly recommend picking up a copy. Not only do you get a stellar collection of fiction, you get to contribute to kicking cancer's ass, and who doesn't want that? Link to the book is in the show notes. Please consider helping out. Thanks. Home from the Sea by William Meikle the Irishman was in trouble. It was no night to be out on the water, but it was an unwritten law in Trinity. If one of us is in trouble, we all are. I drank down the shot of rum I had, but left the ale where it sat. The sea was going to be rough enough as it was without having sour beer rolling in my guts as well. I was in a crowd of about a score that headed out to the dock to peer through the wind and spray. How far out? someone asked. Just past the narrows, floundering bad and hauled on the port side came the answer. We'll need four boats at least. The long rowboats normally took eight men each, but we had to leave room for bringing the Irishman and his crew back with us if need be. We set out, five boats with four of us in each, rowing hard into a headwind and swell that threatened to send us near as far back as forward with every stroke. It wasn't the first time I'd been out in such conditions, but it was a first attempt to rescue a big whaler such as the Dubliner, I knew they'd been out for three weeks and guessed they might even have a catch aboard. Their weight, the weather, and the sheer number of crew we were going to have to shift were large in my mind as I heaved on my oar, trying to ignore the increasing pain and tiredness that I knew was only the start of the evening's trials. By the time we reached the Narrows, the outlet from the relative calm of the harbor into the rougher seas of the larger bay beyond, we were all near spent, and matters weren't helped much, when the first boat out got caught in heavy swell and tipped over. They were too far away for us to help, but I saw clear enough that all four men made it to higher ground ashore, although their boat was smashed into so much kindling against the rocks below them. The men clambered up to the point and waved that they were safe. I knew they were soaked to the skin and had a long, wet walk ahead of them to get back to the warmth of a tavern, but I couldn't waste time worrying on their part, as we too had to fight the rising swell and a crosswind that threatened to send us to the same fate. I was so busy concentrating on keeping us upright and moving forward that I was nearly thrown from my seat as the prow hit something hard. I turned to yell an oath at Roberts at the bow and looked up to see the massive bulk of the Dubliner loom over us. I helped Roberts and Gallagher tie us up, and we got the other three boats alongside so that we were all arranged in a line along the whaler's keel on the starboard side, protected from the wind. It was around then that I started to worry. 
I would have expected someone topside to have at least acknowledged our presence. Instead, all we could hear was the whistling wind and the crash of waves. Ahoy aboard! Roberts called out. He had a bellow like a foghorn, and if there were anyone aboard, they'd surely hear him. But we got no answer. I saw the same fear in Gallagher's eyes that I felt. Nothing good had happened here, and I wasn't at all sure that any good was going to come of us investigating further. But, as I said already, if one is in trouble, we all are. When Robert started to clamber out the rowboat to head up onto the Dubliner, I was second in line behind him with Gallagher at my heels. As I climbed, I steeled myself for the sights to come. I'd seen plenty of dead men smashed to no more than broken puppets by storms, and I expected that more of the same awaited us on deck. I climbed over the gunnels and stood beside Roberts. The deck lay empty save for the large whale carcass on the platform at the stern. My fears of finding corpses were allayed for the moment, but I had a sinking feeling in my gut as I realized we were going to have to search the vessel. The deck lurched beneath us as the boat was caught in a larger swell, and for a second I thought we were going to be tumbled back over the side, but the keel righted itself. This time. As the boat steadied, more men came up out of the rowboats. Roberts waited until there were more than a dozen of us on deck, then organized the search. I went with Gallagher and Roberts himself. We headed for the crew quarters while others went to search the engine room, the mess, and the cargo holds. Four men were put to work trying to get the vessel moving again, the plan being to get her at least through the narrows to quieter waters in the sheltered bay inside. The first thing that struck me as we went below was the quiet. The big steam engine wasn't running, and there was no one at the wheel as we passed, and as we went down, the silence seemed to fall on us like a blanket. Several oil lamps hung overhead at irregular intervals, and they provided a modicum of light, but as they swung in the swell, they cast bands of dark shadows along our way, shadows that seemed to cavort and caper, leading us deeper into what I feared would be our own doom. I'm not afraid to admit that my legs felt like jelly, and every fiber of me just wanted to flee back to the tavern and the welcoming arms of as much rum as I could get inside me. But for the presence of Foster and Gallagher, I might even have allowed myself to succumb to the terror. But my fear of ridicule was stronger still, and I followed Roberts as we went deeper into the boat. The captain, Irish Frank, wasn't in his cabin. It was empty save for a bottle of rum on the sideboard that shouted at me even as we turned away to the corridor. When we looked into the next cabin, I wished I had listened. We had found our first corpse. At first, I was not entirely sure what I was seeing. It looked like someone had left a pile of clothing on the floor. Then I saw the blood, a slimy trail of it that led in a six-inch-wide strip away from the clothing across the floor and then up the wall to where it stopped at the open porthole. As I bent for a closer look, it became all too obvious that what was left of a man was still inside the clothing, but it was little more than a sack of skin and bones, as if all the wet parts had been somehow sucked out of him. I heard Gallagher gag and spew, but I couldn't take my eyes off the sight. I had no idea what could do this to a man. I only knew that I did not want to meet the culprit any time soon. Well, I'll know that, Jacket, Robert said softly. It's Edward Malone. I forced myself to take another look. 
Roberts was right. It was Ted, or rather what was left of him. A fierce drinker, a born seaman, and a man who would fight you as quick as look at you. Anything that could reduce so ferocious a sailor to a pile of rags and leave no sign of a struggle wasn't anything I wanted to meet. I started to back away when Gallagher shouted from out in the corridor, There's another one here! Now that we knew what to look for, we found more remains at every turn, and in each case we found no indication as to the cause of the deaths, only more bloody trails, most of which led from the bodies to outside of the vessel by the most direct route available. What the hell happened here? Gallagher whispered. Neither Roberts nor I had an answer for him, but we wouldn't have had time in any case. The silence was broken by a scream from above, a yell of pain and suffering that tore at my heart to hear it. We headed topside at a run. We arrived on deck to a scene of bloody chaos. Men ran and screamed, blood flew, the wind howled, and the vessel bucked and rolled beneath us, and all around beasts slithered, too fast for the eye to follow, only being still where they had affixed themselves to some poor sailor. On first sight I took them for octopus or squid, for they had bunches of sucker-laden tentacles that they used to cling to their prey. These tentacles were attached to a head the size of a man's clenched fist. But no squid ever had a face like these. The eyes were the worst, black pits that seemed to go all the way down to hell. The pit sat above a mouth of sorts, an elongated tube of muscular tissue that pierced the victim's bodies and started to feed. The moist, sucking noises reached us even above the howling of the wind, and I do believe that the sound was the most terrible aspect of the whole scene. The beasts seemed to be everywhere, swarming across the deck in fast, fluid motion. Six men had already fallen, and three more feebly tried to keep the ravenous beasts away from them with little success. Gallagher reacted first of us. He jumped at the nearest beast and tried to drag it off its victim. All he succeeded in doing was tear a fist-sized lump of flesh away from the poor man's chest. The creature writhed and squirmed in Gallagher's hands, tentacles quickly circling his wrists and starting to squeeze. "'Get the bastard thing off me!' he shouted. Roberts obliged him, but was more circumspect in his approach. He stepped quickly down below deck and came back with an oil lamp. "'Turn your head, man,' he said to Gallagher, then without waiting for a complaint, spilled hot oil on the beast's face. The black eyes popped, flesh sloughed away, and it fell to the deck. Gallagher stomped on it until it was little more than a jelly just to make sure. Another man, I'm fairly certain it was McGinnis the Stoker, ran past us with one of the things clamped on his face. He went over the side without a sound and fell away. I ran to the rail to look over. The sea below seethed, filled with the squirming, writhing tentacles of the beasts. I saw that three men had made a bolt for a rowboat, but they were caught and even now were little more than cold meat, food for scores of the creatures that massed around the corpses, tentacles waving as if excited by the kill. Almost as if the beasts knew I was watching, half a dozen heads turned, black eyes staring up at me. A high wail, like a gall in the wind, came from six mouth parts. Then as one they moved, scrambling up the hall, coming straight for me. If the Dubliner had not lurched in a swell at that precise moment, I believe I would have been taken, for I was so transfixed at the sight of the creatures that I could not move from the spot. 
but when the deck tilted, Roberts, too, saw what was coming and dragged me aside. To the stern, man, and pride a lifeboat is there. We ran, even as the things clambered up over the gunnels and came after us. Someone fell behind me, but I didn't even stop to look. Gallagher, Roberts, and I were the only men still standing by the time we reached the stern. The sight that met us there made me fear that I was not going to outlive my old mates by very long. A sperm whale lay on the platform, the whaler's last catch, and it was now obvious that the dead whale was also the source of the infection. Its belly was vastly swollen and distended. I would have blamed a buildup of gases after its death if I could not see the gaping hole in the blubber and the writhing, seething nest of tentacled beasts all fighting to escape from within. It seemed the whale was little more than a carcass, a carcass filled to bursting point. It was equally obvious that our path to the stern lifeboat, if there even was a rowboat still there, was blocked by a slithering mass of the things. We can get to it from below. Come up from under, Robert said. The thought of being trapped below decks with the creatures had me once again filled with dread, but I knew that Roberts was right. It might indeed be our only chance of escape. But first we had to find a safe place to get below, and that, in itself, was no easy matter. The things were everywhere. They clambered over the bodies of our fallen mates, sucking and feeding in a most disgusting manner. The sounds and sights assaulted my ears and eyes such that I knew they would be repeated nightly in my dreams forevermore, even if I should survive this ordeal. The vessel rocked alarmingly beneath us, reminding us, as if we needed reminding, of the need for haste. "'We need to get off this boat!' Gallagher shouted. Neither Roberts nor I disagreed with him. But the beasts blocked our way in every direction, and some were even now beginning to close. I was considering a dive overboard, swim for it and hope for the best, when Roberts started to kick and stomp at any beast in range. They burst with moist squelches and lay still. "'The odds are their weak spot!' We can make it, he said, pointing to his left at the hatch to below decks. Just keep kicking. We didn't need to be told twice. The three of us moved quickly across the deck in a series of stomping and dancing steps, leaving a trail of slime and mucus behind us. One of the beasts wrapped three tentacles around my ankle and squeezed, sending a flare of hot pain up the length of my leg. I brought my heel down hard and the head popped. The tentacles fell limply away. I dived through the hatch after Robert's. Gallagher was just behind, and even as Roberts and I turned to pull the hatch closed, he fell through, screaming. One of the beasts had attached itself to his neck. The greedy mouth bored into the soft tissue between his neck and shoulder, and Gallagher's screams got louder. But to the man's credit, he wasn't ready to lay down and die just yet. He yanked the thing away from him, tearing out a chunk of meat and skin of his own in the process, and threw it away. It hit the wall, fell to the floor with a wet thud, then started scurrying back towards us. Robert stepped forward and brought his boot down on its head twice, until finally it lay still. We stood there, wide-eyed, staring at each other as we tried to remember to breathe. There was a single scream from above, quickly lost in the wind. Then we heard the scurrying and slithering of the beasts moving overhead. Suddenly, all was silent, save for the creaking of the old boat and the distant roar of the storm. At some point in the melee, I had quite lost my bearings. I thought we had descended to the area immediately above the engine room, but we were once again in the corridor that led to the crew quarters. And if the layout of the whaler was as I remembered it, there was no easy way to get to our objective in the stern from there. Our situation 
has hardly improved for the better, Gallagher said quietly. He bled heavily from the wound in his shoulder, but waved me away when I tried to help. I'll have time for Doctor and later if we make it. I looked to Roberts for guidance. He had bent to study the remains of the things at our feet. What the hell are these things? Gallagher asked. I ain't never seen the like before. I ain't never heard the like either, Roberts replied, standing and wiping slime and mucus on his trousers. It's some kind of squid, I think, but I'm buggered if I know anything more than that. Besides, what they are isn't important. We need to get to the stern and fast. This boat's going into the rocks at any minute, and when that happens, we're all dead anyway. I wasn't too keen on being reminded of that fact. I was still feeling happy at just having got below and away from the creatures. I looked down the corridor at the path we would have to take. Even with the presence of oil lamps at intervals, it was too dark to see more than ten yards or so, but my imagination filled in the blanks only too well. I started in that direction, but Roberts had other ideas. We can go further down, he said. Most direct routes through the mine hold. We have no idea what might be down there, Gallagher said. Can't be any worse than what's above us, Roberts replied. He lifted one of the few functioning oil lamps from its hook on the wall. And the sooner it's done, the quicker we can get off this death trap. I followed him as he led us to the steps that led down into more darkness, hoping against hope that his last statement was close to the truth. We found Irish Frank at the foot of the steps. The creatures had got him, but not before he'd taken many of them with him. Charred remains lay strewn in a wide circle around the captain's body. A hole in his chest showed where he had finally succumbed. It hadn't been that long ago, either, for the firebrand in his hand was still warm. We had the right idea, Robert said, lifting the brand and getting it lit from the flame in the oil lamp. We should have thought of it ourselves. See if we can find more of these. We might need them. I found three long brands just by turning my head. I knew from experience that a supply was often kept near the entrance to the hold in whaling vessels. I passed one to Gallagher, and we lit up from the one in Roberts's hand. Now we had enough light, we were able to see that we hadn't just found Irish Frank. We had found most of his crew. They'd tried to make a stand here in the hold. It hadn't mattered. The creatures had found them, and to a man, fed on them. They lay, piled on top of each other, or attempting to hide underneath barrels and crates, or at the foot of another set of stairs where there had obviously been a fight among themselves in their rush to flee. And everywhere were the bloody trails that showed where the creatures had departed after feeding. The boat lurched again, threatening to throw us off our feet. In a corner of the hold, something scurried away. We were not alone. I expected Roberts to move, to head for the stern, but he and Gallagher had eyes only for the cargo. I saw that the hold was almost full. The whaler had made a profitable trip. The barrels sloshed as the boat rolled. They were full of oil. There's a king's ransom here, Gallagher whispered. We've got to try to salvage what we can. Roberts laughed bitterly. What we need to salvage is our lives. Gallagher wasn't convinced, but he followed as we made our way quickly through the hold. There was no repetition of the scurrying sound, but I knew that I had heard it, and I jumped at every shadow, every creak of warping wood as we went forward. When the attack came, it was from two directions. A fresh scurrying alerted me first. I turned towards it just as the thing launched itself at me, tentacles reaching for my face. 
I got the brand between us and hit the head square on. Something hissed, and the air filled with a stench that made me gag. Hot spew filling my throat. I was aware of a commotion behind me. Gallagher and Roberts had troubles of their own, but I was too busy to pay attention to them. The thing came at me again. I could just see that it was burned badly. One of the black eyes had popped and dribbled noxious fluid on the deck even as it threw itself at me again. I poked it twice with the brand, and the flames took at the second attempt. The head went first. Tentacles writhed and thrashed in frenzy. It was only stilled when I brought my boot down hard, squishing the burnt remains underfoot. I turned back to my crewmates looking for congratulations. There would be none forthcoming. They had not my good fortune of hearing the attack coming. There was indeed a second burning beast on the deck at their feet, but it had done its own damage before succumbing. Roberts was still on his feet, but he was white as a sheet apart from where a wash of blood ran down his chest, a gaping wound at his neck evidence of where the thing had penetrated his jugular. "'I'll be fine,' he whispered. Then his legs gave way despite Gallagher trying to hold him up. He fell at my feet. Dead eyes stared up at me. Gallagher took one look at the body, let out a wail, and headed forward at a flat run. There were more scurrying sounds in the darker shadows, and deciding discretion was the better part of valor, I too headed forward, as fast as I was able to, while still ensuring I was safe from another attack. I got to the stairs that led up to the stern just in time to see Gallagher step up onto deck some twelve feet above me. I flinched, expecting him to be immediately attacked, but all I heard was the whistle of the wind and the roar of water on rocks. The vessel struck something hard enough to make me lose my footing and drop the brand. It hit the deck, snuffed out, and rolled away into darkness. Something moved and skittered in the shadows. I fled up the steps, expecting at any second to be hauled backwards down into the dark. I was quite out of breath when I reached the deck. Gallagher took no notice of me. He stood, staring not towards the lifeboat at the stern, but forward. The lights of Trinity twinkled some quarter of a mile distant. By some miracle, we had made it unscathed through the narrows and were, even now, being propelled ever closer to the main harbor. "'We can bring her in,' Gallagher said. "'Salvage the oil. We could be rich men by the morning.' I cannot say I wasn't tempted, if only for a second. Then I saw it in my mind's eye. The taverns and whorehouses overrun by tentacled beasts, burrowing into drunken flesh, feeding on babes and the old alike, taking the town by storm even before it knew what had happened. I knew in that instant I could never allow it. But I could see, by the look in Gallagher's face, that he was lost in greed, with no thought for the consequences. I did the only thing I could think of. I smacked him in the jaw, twice, as hard as I was able before he saw the punches coming. To my relief, he fell, out cold. He was a big lad, but I was able to manhandle him onto the rowboat easily enough. I left him there, took up his firebrand, and although every fiber of my being was telling me to flee, made my way back down into the hold to do what needed to be done. It was dark down there, and once again every sound, every shadow made me jump. But the fear of what might happen to my town was even stronger and drove me forward. I kicked over the nearest barrel, then another, and two more before one finally obliged and split open, spilling oil through the hold, 
a river running between the rest of the barrels. The skittering sounds got louder but did not approach any closer, and I actually managed a grim smile as I put brand to oil and the deck blazed in flame. Once more I fled upward, fire nipping at my heels. A creature threw itself down at me from above, but I was in no mood for pleasantries. I caught it by the tentacles, swung it around my head, and tossed it straight down into the flame. It took some layers of skin from my hand as it left, but that was a small price to pay to see it hit the fire and burst in flame. The first barrel blew as I reached the main deck, the concussion almost blowing me off my feet. The whole vessel shook and lurched sharply to port. I had a bad couple of seconds when I couldn't find the winch for the lifeboat, and I only released it just as a second explosion almost tore the whaler in half. We fell, my stomach in my mouth, hitting the water hard and almost overturning before I was able to get an oar in my hand and start to put some distance between us and the now-burning whaler. Gallagher woke, groggily, and had anger in his eyes as he saw what I had done. That anger quickly turned to terror as the sea between us and the rapidly sinking vessel started to seethe and roil. A mass of tentacles rose up as if tasting the air, seeking us out. Some of the creatures had escaped from the sinking ship, and they were making straight for us. "'Row, you bugger!' I shouted, and Gallagher, thankfully, did not argue. Two more explosions racked the stricken whaler, and then a third huge blast that filled the air with smoke and splinters and ash. When I could see clearly again, there was no sign that the boat had ever been there save for a mass of wreckage bobbing on the waters." But we were far from clear of danger. The tentacled beasts swam faster than we could row and were now mere yards from overrunning us. I gripped the yore, meaning to use it as a club, ready to take some of them to hell with me. And that's when the sound came from out beyond the narrows. A high wail, like the one we had heard from the creatures earlier, but deeper, resonant, like a great church organ being readied for play, high and clear, even above the roar of the wind. The swimming beasts stopped in their tracks, their interest in us gone. Scores of mouths opened, the feeding tubes raised high out of the water. As one, they too wailed, answering some distant call. The noise from beyond the narrows grew louder, more insistent. The swimming beasts started to move again, not towards us, but off towards the narrows. I turned back to get our bearings, intending to head at all speed for the safety of the harbor, so I didn't see what Gallagher saw, but I recognized the shock in his face right enough. Oh my God, it's huge, he said. He wouldn't speak of it again until later in the warmth and comfort of the tavern. It filled the hull of the narrows, he said. What did? I asked but I was very much afraid that I already knew the answer. He replied in a whisper so none but I could hear, chilling me once more to the bone. Their mother. Calling them home. And that is the end of the story. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, please feel free to kick into the Patreon. Every dollar goes back into the show and is used to pay for things like guest readers, equipment upgrades, and hosting fees. New patron, A. Smith, thank you so much for joining Alhambra's Army of Champions. Thank you so much for your support. Steve Meyer, Andrew Buchanan, and Samantha Hickey, thank you for your support. You can also pick up a copy of any of the audiobooks I've performed, and if you get the collections by William Meikle, you'll also be helping him out. 
we both would appreciate it. Please go and get yourselves vaccinated for anything and everything you are available for. Please shout down and humiliate any bigotry you see happening out in public. It's your duty. It's your duty, damn it. Now, will you be a patriot or a lover? And always remember that the most important step a person can take is always the next one. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.